Welcome, everyone. My name is Michael S. Sieber. You're listening to Equal Chance to Be Unequal, my podcast about unlocking human potential through helping people disconnect it from their purpose, uncover and live their purpose. Welcome back or welcome to today's episode of Equal Chance to Be Unequal. I'm executive coach Michael S. Siever. Thank you for joining me and my guest today. My guest is Laura Schaefer. She is an author and ghostwriter based in Orlando, Florida, who specializes in writing books with executive coaches, entrepreneurs, and personal development experts. Laura has written novels, including The Tea Shop Girls, The Secret Ingredient, Littler Women, Notes to Self, and pieces for websites such as Match.com, Business.com, Entrepreneur.com, and a variety of content pieces for countless businesses, events, and individuals. Laura believes in stories, in the power of a book to change minds and societies, and in ideas. She's deeply empathetic, an incredible listener, enormously witty, and genuinely interested in writing your story, displaying your authentic brand in your voice. Welcome, Laura. Thank you, Michael. What a nice introduction. I really appreciate that. You are welcome. Since you and I first met in October of 2018, I believe it was, I have so thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you, whether it's just learning about your upbringing in the Midwest to the the various pieces that you've written novel-wise to the work that you've done for other people like me across the nation. I've really enjoyed the depth of our conversations and the depth of our relationship. So thank you for being you and adding to the world the things that you add to the world. My pleasure. (laughs) Yeah. So when you think about your journey to today, Uh, I want you to walk us through your life's journey from those formative years in the Midwest to today and and where you live in Florida. So give us a little bit of a a, a journey through that life and and how you've gotten to where you are today. Sure. Um, The timing of this podcast is so perfect because I've really been reflecting on my background and the experiences that brought me here to ghostwriting and how it's such a perfect job for me in a million different ways. And one of the first pieces of my story is the fact that I was a straight A student in school. (laughs) That's like a core, core part of my identity. And my friends always teased me because I was the kid who did her homework on Friday nights. I really, I have never been a procrastinator at all. I get my stuff done ridiculously fast and I've always been that way. It's just, it's part of who I am. Um, and I have always had a really curious mind and loved getting those gold stars and still do. (laughs) Um, and so I've always been a big reader as well. And that came out in a lot of different ways. I started writing books when I was still a kid. Um, I was the editor of my high school yearbook. And, um, one thing I'm very proud of is that I asked my teachers for their own senior pictures so that we could display both their current picture and the picture of themselves as, as, uh, teenagers. And it, it was just original and it was very me. And, uh, that's something that I still do today with my clients. I just really want to approach a project from an unusual angle. <laughs> I want to know who you were when you were a teenager. Um, and so I enjoyed working with you, Michael, on your, your recent reflection about your teenage years when you went back to talk to your high school. That was cool. Um, Yeah. So moving on from there, um, I went to the University of Wisconsin. I was a communication arts major with a business minor, and I was an editor at the Daily Cardinal student newspaper. 
And I actually got to work on the literature page, which was perfect because I got all these free books in the mail to review and I got to meet authors and talk to them about their lives. And it was just awesome. It was such a cool opportunity. And uh, from there, I interned at a publishing house. And when I graduated from college, I said, I am not going to get a job. <laughs> and so it was perfect because the internet made it possible to, you know, kind of participate in the gig economy before that was a thing. And so I was very, very proud of myself for sort of carving out a career for myself and never having to go to work in an office. And that's what I did. And so my first win in publishing was a book about historical personal ads. And I dug up, um, like, they, they were actually called matrimonial ads back in the day from like the 17 and 1800s. And no one had really done that before. So I got my first book deal, got a literary agent in New York. Um, I got to write an op-ed for the New York Times. I got to be on Good Morning America. And it was all very overwhelming and exciting. And I was only like 25 or 26 years old. So it was like, this is it. I am doing this. <laughs> and from there, I decided to write a young adult novel, which is called The Tea Shop Girls. And that was great as well. Um, got asked to do a sequel to that. And then I got asked to do a, a modern retelling of Little Women, which is having a moment right now. I'm so excited to see the new movie. And my career really unfolded in a cool way. But you have to understand that it's difficult to make a living just getting book deals for yourself unless you have just like a monster hit like Andy Weir's The Martian or Fifty Shades of Grey or something like that. So while all that was going on, I was also a freelance writer and I did a lot of different kinds of content. So um, curriculum writing, um, copywriting, all this kind of thing. And it wasn't until my family made the decision to move to Florida in 2015 that I sort of found ghostwriting. And that was an accident. <laughs> and it was actually because I was hungering for bigger, more significant projects. And I was kind of digging for that and, and asking for it without even knowing what I was asking for. And fortunately, um, LinkedIn actually changed some things about its site and they started sending me these projects and I just started applying for them and, and getting them and realizing that this was perfect for me. I loved longer form work. I loved really having these um, friendships with my clients and writing books doesn't scare me at all. I really love it. And so I've just grown into it. So that's kind of how I got here. It's early wins in publishing and being a straight A nerd and loving books. So that's my story. I love it. I think there's significant <laughs> value for each of us in what Laura was just talking about in that when we feel really called to do something, we feel passionate, we feel interested, we feel called to something, we stay really committed to the goal, but in some ways surrender the form. And what I mean by that is that we we, we still want to write, we still want to affect change, we still want to live life on our terms, we want to have the freedom and control of our time. But as society evolves and changes, the methodologies by which we go about doing our business is going to evolve and change. And Laura is a great example of being okay with the evolution of that change, getting into flow with her own life's mission or what the universe is asking her to do, and bigger and bigger blessings coming her way. Would you agree, Laura? Definitely. Although it's much easier to recognize them in retrospect than in the moment. Um, so a perfect example of that is I think in like 2015 or 2016, a friend of mine visited Florida from New York and we were talking about life and our careers. And I was saying to her, like, 
I've been doing this piecework and I'm writing website content and blogs and it just, it's not adding up to anything. I want something lasting. And, you know, I'm putting into words exactly what I want, which is to write books, bigger, more significant projects. And it was only a week later that I got the call to write the, the Littler Women Project, the modern retelling of Little Women. And you know, I didn't put that together in my mind that those two things happened so close until like maybe a month ago. And I went back through like my Instagram or whatever. And I was like, that was literally a week later that I got exactly what I asked for. <laughs> and so I guess the lesson there is to try to chill out, which is so hard for me because I really like want to make things happen. And um, yeah, it's hard to wait and it's hard to like have faith and, and be peaceful, but it always works out. And I, you know, Maybe I'll actually believe it this time. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that uh, that's, a, that's tremendous advice because we live in a world where there's constant interruption, there's constant distraction, there's so many things we can be participating in. But oftentimes the answers do come from what Laura just suggested around hindsight. If we make time daily for reflection or weekly or monthly, whatever your schedule allows, we can find the little pieces of the puzzle and how they're actually being laid out for us. And then being able to take really uh, focused action moving forward on the things that we really care about. And that's, to Laura's point, that's literally how quickly the universe works. Like she put it out into the universe. A week later, the project, you know, materialized. And But it came from being just a little bit more still, potentially. And then as Laura gets into more of her story, uh, or as she moves down her own career path, the more still she becomes and is the bigger the project that will come her way. And I think that's true for all of us in our own respective ways. So a good takeaway for each of us to, to consider. So for you, Laura, tell us about your process for bringing a new book to fruition. Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, let's see. Now I think I'm on my 10th project, ghostwriting books for uh, other people. And so I've really got it nailed down at this point, <laughs> which is nice. Um, my first job is to get to know my clients. And on a recent call with my newest client, it was so funny. We had never met before in person. And she calls me. And at the moment she called me, I'd spilled tea all over myself. <laughs> and I was like, this is perfect. I can use this because I really think that books you know, writing books should be fun. I, I feel like we shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. And so that's what I said to her. I was like, um, I'm covered in tea, but we're going to keep talking. And this is, you know, the perfect metaphor for what this process is like. Like it's going to be messy before it's, exactly. <laughs> before it's orderly. And so um, that was fun. And I think she kind of appreciated my attitude because she's a coach. And so as a leadership coach or a life coach or an executive coach, you're always looking for those moments of kind of goofiness or, you know, authenticity or just humanness from other people. And so I kind of led with that. I'm like, I'm a mess, but I know how to write books. <laughs> so that, that was cool. So, you know, my first job is to really like connect with a person and I really just want to like them and I want them to like me. Um, another early client that uh, chose to hire me was actually a CEO, somebody that maybe I would initially be a little intimidated by, but he had gone back and read my Twitter feed for like many months or years. And it was awesome because he kind of like felt like he was getting to know me. And, you know, that's a, that's an edited version of who I am, but it is also a reflection of who I am. And I was very touched by that. I was like, I think we're going to get along. You like my tweets? Good. You know, um, so that's the first thing is that relationship. 
Um, and then getting more serious, um, I want to know that the client has a plan for their book. Um, I want to talk about exactly who their book is for, you know, what the central idea is and who the one person is that they're talking to. And as you often say, Michael, we're trying to help our younger selves. So sometimes I'll guide them in that direction, but not always. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they have, you know, a, a different goal. So that's fine too. Um, but I really want to picture that specific audience. I do cringe if somebody says their book is for everyone. That's <laughs> that's a challenging book to write, a book that's Not for everyone. True. So I like to narrow that down. Um, and then before we get all of our calls and interviews scheduled, I do want to have a table of contents. And it can change. You know, our, our main topic list can evolve. That's fine. But I have to have a plan, some kind of roadmap for the book to follow so I can develop question sets for my uh, clients and, you know, we know where we're going. So once we have a goal for the book, an audience and a table of contents, we do our interviews. I usually ask that my clients set aside about an hour a week for me. Um, usually five, six, seven interviews can can do it, especially if they're also emailing me. Um, and that can take the form of writing. They can record short little audio of themselves as they have a thought. Um, I had one client who liked to just record on his cell phone, you know, over coffee in the morning. They were just two or three minute little ideas. It was perfect. He would tell a quick story about something and then I would transcribe it. And we just built the book like that brick by brick. Um, and it's my job to make sure everything flows and is in order. And if something's too surfacey, it's my job to say, we need more here. Um, it's, it's interesting. Once I'm working with a client, I kind of can't stop thinking about their book. So I'll just be walking down the street and I'll be like, we have to get rid of chapter six. Chapter six doesn't have a main point. <laughs> and and that, that's fine. You know, it's like, I feel, um, I like that. That's, you know, it, one of my clients said that's my zone of genius. And it really is It's like, I, I never stop until I feel like it's good. And I'm always thinking. So, um, from there, I send a, a manuscript to my client, and then we revise together, um, usually in Google Docs, so all the comments are live, um, and then proofread, and then I advise on publishing. Um, some clients want to self-pub, and some work with a hybrid, and others want to go traditional, so we can talk about that a little bit more sure. um, later on. Tremendous process, right? And I, I love the fact that when you're thinking about the client, there's a number of things that you're absorbing about him or her to really understand the message, the avatar of the the audience member that they're trying to reach out to or tell a story to, and then working through a very linear process that helps to make sure that what goes out is really truly authentically in the client's voice, but then is also really applicable to his or her audience. Like it actually can be something they can do something with really powerfully and meaningfully. And the fact that you give so much of yourself or that it is top of mind, or you get a sense for what piece is going to work or not work in the book, that makes the editing process, that makes the final outcome, I think that much better. Yeah, I think so too. And another thing that I'm able to do that I think clients really appreciate is if they need me to interview an outside expert, I can do that as well. Um, and even if it's just somebody I talk to once, sometimes bringing in that expertise is very valuable depending on the topic. And I don't mind doing that. So um, it's just one more thing that I offer. You know, sometimes clients hire me just not because they can't write. It's really because they don't have the time. <laughs> and so I'm I'm able to do that for them. And I like it. Yeah, that, very well said. And I think that's where we 
come back to as a society is that each of us has a life's mission. Each of us has a set of core strengths. Each of us has things that we really enjoy doing. And there are many methodologies by which we can get the most authentic version of ourselves out into the community in a way that can help those around us. And maybe you just don't have the time to really invest in the the hours that it takes to put forth a really good book. So why not offload that time or that skill to somebody who has done it numerous, numerous, numerous times, has connections to publishers, has awareness of what's happening today in the marketplace. I think there's really significant value in bringing a partner or somebody to collaborate with like Laura into the mix to make sure that what goes out is a true representation of your brand, but is also well above and beyond anything that you could create on your own. And I I think that's the value that somebody like Laura brings. So Laura, when you think about those clients that are engaged and you just gave a great example of, you know, somebody recording themselves over coffee and, and sending you that material, are there other things or examples that you have of those engaged clients and what they do to help you write the best book possible? That is an important question. Um, while I will be doing the bulk of the work, it's a collaboration. And I really need my clients to dig in, open up, um, not summarize their experience, but really be willing to share stories from their experience or, you know, because I work with coaches from their clients' experience. And we can change names. It's, you know, that's not a big deal. It's just the story has to lead each chapter. Um, I cannot have (laughs) a cliche. I cannot have a generality. I cannot have conventional wisdom. I really want to hear from clients who have something unique to say, something surprising. Um, I want them to tell me about the time that they were sobbing on the floor. And that's hard. It's hard for me. Um, I get it, you know, and so that's why you have to be so choosy about who you work with. You have to feel safe with the person that you're collaborating with because the book won't be good unless you expose yourself. Um, And so that's the challenge. And it's also really important not to disappear on me. Um, I can't write a good book if we're stopping and starting. (laughs) I need, I need some time commitment from my clients. So whether that's an hour a week or two, um, there's gotta be a good flow of communication. Um, Another important thing is to be a little bit choosy about what goes into the book. Um, I can't have, (laughs) again, I can't hear everything. We really need to focus. We really need to think about the end result that you want, um, how you want to help people, and how each piece of the book serves that one goal. Um, It's really tempting when you're creating a 200-page document to just think, like, let's throw everything into it. No. You know, it shouldn't be there unless there's a reason for it to be there. And this is something I'm struggling with right now because I'm uh, developing a new website and I have a coach and he is challenging me. He's like, no random pictures of books on your website. I want every piece of that website has to serve a purpose. And I'm like, you're right. That's exactly the same thing with books. So it's it's been interesting to think about. Tremendous examples. And I think this is where when we think about what it means to co-create something, it really does come down to the, and especially in society today, partnering with Laura, there needs to be a safety. There needs to be a psychological safety. There needs to be a vulnerability. There needs to be an authenticity in a focused, meaningful way because of the 7.75 billion people that are on the planet, 
the likelihood is, is that there is a handful of individuals out there who are going through something in life that's similar to what you are and your process for overcoming a challenge, they probably don't know, or they probably need to hear in order to have the courage to do the same thing for themselves. And partnering with somebody like Laura, who makes you feel safe in the editing process or in the question process, it really does say to you to say, okay, if, if I put this out there, maybe I haven't shared these things before, but if I do, the likelihood is, is that it's going to resonate more deeply with an audience, therefore do better, therefore get in front of more people, therefore have the intended impact that I would like to have. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's true. I'm a huge fan of authenticity. I um, wrote about it in a blog, you know, a few months back around when we think about personal branding and executive branding, like you really have to think about yourself in one word. And that one word for me is authenticity. And so each of you listening, think about when you, with somebody were to describe you, what would that one word be? So Lori, you mentioned that there obviously are different uh, publishing options and your clients can engage you in any number of ways, and there can be any number of distribution outlets for a book. Um, can you talk just a bit about traditional publishing, self-publishing, and, and what hybrid publishing is? Sure. Um, so traditional publishing is um, what you think of when you walk into Barnes & Noble and you see a book on a shelf. Um, there are the big five, they say, in New York. And um, getting a traditional publishing deal is fantastic. Um, you get the cachet, they pay you, which is nice. You get an advance on royalties. And probably the best thing about it is that you have a skilled team of book lovers that are supporting your book and your idea and your book launch. So that is awesome because these people are great. They're really genuine. They really love books. They are, they've been doing, you know, their job for years. Um, but what can be challenging about traditional publishing is that it's so slow very slow. So I already have a literary agent who helps me out. And just as an example, I wrote a novel last year and then it was out on submission, meaning he was looking for a publisher for it for many, many months. And I just got my fifth traditional book deal. Yay. But my new book will not be out until 2022. So <laughs> that is slow. Um, and I mean, of course, I am so grateful and excited that it will be out in the world in that way. And because it's for younger readers, it's it's smart to have a traditional publisher um, do that for that particular market. Um, but yeah, very slow. Uh, also, you lose control of it. Um, really good example is the title that I wanted is going to change. Um, I won't be able to pick the cover. There's aspects even of the, the actual story that will have to change. And I, again, I'm okay with it. I think the, the end novel will be stronger for it. It is a collaboration and that's all fine. Um, but self-publishing is wonderful if some of those things sound a little bit off-putting to you. So with self-publishing, you control exactly when your book is released. You control the title, the cover, just every detail of it. Um, and that's really nice. Um, and when somebody is shopping on Amazon, which is where most people are buying their books these days, you can't really tell the difference between self-publishing and not. And if you have a, a plan for your book launch and you have kind of a built-in audience or email list. I think it's an awesome option. Um, and then in the middle is a hybrid publisher, which is somebody that you pay a fee to, and then they do some of the um, jobs that a traditional publisher would do. So for example, they would design a cover for you. They would do formatting. 
they would maybe even more advanced interior artwork if that's something that you want or graphics. Um, they even have distribution packages. So if you want your book to be in libraries or even in Barnes and Noble, the hybrid publishers can do that for you. Um, and their timeline is going to be a little bit faster than a traditional publisher as well. So it's three very solid options. It's something that I can talk to a client with more at length if they want to hop on a call with me. Um, and I really do see the value of all three. So it just, you know, it depends on what your goals are, what your timeline is like. Um, and there's a path forward for all of them. Absolutely. And I think for our audience to really step back and consider, like we mentioned just a minute ago, there's significant value in collaborating with a subject matter expert like Laura to make sure that the content that is put out in the book is absolutely fantastic and really applicable to the audience. And then also to secondarily look at these different markets and say, what is the avatar of the ideal reader? Who is it that I really need to absorb this information? And then what is the the channel that I utilize to get this out to them? And to, to your point, Laura, there's, you mentioned a couple of the, uh, the advantages or disadvantages, if you will, or pros or cons of like the traditional. And when I'm thinking about traditional, I'm thinking about self and I'm thinking about hybrid. Are there any other things that you kind of take into consideration from a, a pro or a con standpoint when you're looking at those to say, hey, uh, if you want to go down this route, here are the factors you need to weigh? Well, um, regardless of whether you self-publish or traditionally publish, a lot of the heavy lifting for marketing your book is going to be on you. <laughs> so I think that's a, a common misperception. You think if you get a book deal from a big New York publisher, it's done, it's over. You don't, Your job is, you know, it's complete. Uh, and that's not correct. I mean, it's really still up to individual authors to sell their book. And so a better question really is like, what is your platform today? You know, what, do you have a following on social media? Do you have an email list? Do you have um, a speaking engagement where you can just give books away as part of, you know, your fee for speaking, that kind of thing. So I'm really encouraging authors and clients who come to me to think through, you know, once they have a book, regardless of how it's published, what's the plan? Um, because it's, it's on the author to sell that book. Um, no matter what publishing option you go with. So I hope that doesn't turn people off because it is challenging. And of course, writing a book is challenging. So you think I'm done and it's just not right. the case. <laughs> and gr great example, because when you think about trying to go potentially hybrid, I mean, under all three, this is true. Um, but when you think about the distribution methods that exist under a traditional model, they can get the book in front of a lot more eyes kind of on their own because they're going to make profit themselves. When it comes to folks, maybe hybrid, but for sure in self-publishing, you're better off to build up that distribution network of your own ahead of time. And so, right. So finding uh, a way to put a pop-up on your website or to put a connect with me here or download this, this, this e-newsletter or this book or this thing on my website so that you get enough people in the e-newsletter to add value to their lives each month. But then also when it's time to push a book out that they're actually interested in your content or material or to Laura's point earlier about public speaking engagements, there are a number of tools that I've even utilized myself where I will literally tell the audience members to text a specific word to a specific number and my ebook is automatically emailed to them instantaneously. And so there, there, are, there are little things like that that really do matter a lot. So whether it's the pop-ups and the ways to engage you on your website, whether it's the things that you utilize in a live public audience or if it's the the way that you go about engaging your social media audience, which 
in many cases, you can get to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people really quickly. I still feel like influencer marketing is still uh, relatively prevalent. And, and that's as, as the, like the marketing channels decentralize, right? Away from uh, bigger corporations kind of controlling what goes out where. We're now in a place where if we have the right material and content that we push out via our social channels and it's really authentic and it's adding value in a fun way to the people around us, people are actually going to want to engage you and hear you and then hear more about yeah. you. And a book is just such a powerful tool because you have somebody's attention for hours. You know, what a cool thing. It, absolutely. And I think I look at our world and we're, we're so fast to jump from thing to thing to thing. Like, again, we're interrupted or we're distracted so often. And I think there's real value in taking a step back, being still, taking the time for reflection and getting into a good book, not only because of the things that you're going to learn through the story or through the things that, that, that the author teaches you, but also just because there's so much application in your life. You can actually go back to those reflection points. You can actually connect the dots in a fun new way. And there's a lot of health benefits of being less active or less busy as well. So to me, I'm, I'm a reader myself. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now and I, I can't count the number of books that are on it. Maybe you can say the same, Laura. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but there's real value in taking that time to just be alone, to be able to think clearly and, and have that time. So whether you're really thinking about a person like Laura to take your story to scale or whether you're the type of person that just feels like you want to slow down a little bit, there are ways to not only share your story via book, but then there's also ways to really connect to story via books in a way that allows for more integration of those learnings in your life. Because in a social media world, we get short bits and, and, and snippets, but we don't really get the intended meaning or value. And I want people to uh, have what it is that Laura can bring to the table, which is a very long drawn out story where there's lots of good learnings that happen throughout the entire book. There's lots of dots to be connected. Yeah. It's a really good antidote to the sped up world that we live in. And I think sometimes when we've been scrolling through our phones for a long time, you set it down and you don't feel very good, like physically or emotionally. And I find the opposite to be true with reading a book. I find it to be very fulfilling. <laughs> so um, yeah, I really believe in books. And I think if if there's a coach out there who already has a YouTube channel or an Instagram or, you know, a big following, it's time. It's time to engage this other medium um, and to really dig in. I completely agree, right? When we look at all of the different ways that, that humans can share content with the world, the thing that's really hot right now is social media. And I respect that, but I think we're also with younger generations because I've seen some reports that Generation Z, those folks born after the year 2000, they're actually displaying some character traits of the baby boomer generation. And maybe that brings back a little bit more of the focus on relationships and connectedness. And through books, I think we learn an awful lot about being a member of a society or being a member of a clan or a group or a family. And I just think that those things are really important for us to learn as we move into a society that seems to be fraught with so much uh, dis-ease, yeah. if you will. Yeah, I feel like people feel um, very connected when they're reading a book. You're getting in another human's brain in a way that's only possible really in one-on-one -on -one conversations. And a book is like a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So, yeah. yeah. 
I agree. There was actually, I don't remember the country that this was in, but there's a library in another country where you could check out humans and listen to their story. <laughs> I like that. And yeah. it, that was a really cool thing when I, when I had first read about that or saw that. So uh, whether it's you going to the library and checking out a human or whether <laughs> it's you going to the library and checking out one of Laura's books, you are going to learn an awful lot, not only about that person and having that dialogue, uh, but probably also about yourself. Yeah. So Laura, when you think about ghost writers and uh, I'm, I'm very impartial to you, of course, because of the dialogue we've had, the relationship that we've built and the, the blessings that you've brought to my life and the help you've given me. When you think about a ghostwriter that is at the top of his or her game and they're doing a great job for their clients, what are the, the qualities that that person should possess in the service of their clients? Yeah, it's a pretty unusual job. And I've been thinking about this question a lot and why I love it so much. And there's a few key things. Um, the first one is is like the fundamentals. So your ghostwriter has to have a demonstrated ability to write books. Um, you'll often hear that ghostwriters sort of found it by accident. And that was true of me. Um, they often start out writing their own books and then go from there to help others. And so you want to check that uh, your ghostwriter is very comfortable with the format and really has um, the focus and the follow through and understands the book as as a medium, as a form. It's not just a collection of blog posts. It's its own thing. You know, I mentioned struggling with developing my website because that's not my thing. <laughs> that's not how I think. Um, but I do think in books. Um, and so the next thing I would say is empathy. Um, a lot of what I do feels like therapy. And I like that. I think that would have been a good other career for me to have pursued. So it's a, it's a comfortable place for me to be. Um, natural curiosity. Um, I think it helps that I'm very organized. Um, let's see. I think the ability to set your ego aside is important. I'm very non-judgmental. Um, moving here to Florida when I was 35 was super interesting because I was actually reading that 95% of our thoughts and beliefs are formed by the time we're 35. I think Joe Dispenza said this. And then we sort of just repeat that for the rest of our lives. And of course, this is not true of everybody, especially not people who are interested in personal development. But that was so jarring to me. And I thought, wow, I'm really glad that I that I did move at that age and got out of my comfort zone because it really had me questioning everything, just everything. And I think that's a great quality for a ghostwriter to have because I want to see the world through my client's eyes. And of course, I'll share some of my own life and my own insights with them, mostly just to make them feel more comfortable. Um, and so I love that dialogue. I love the relationship. I've been very lucky in that all the clients that I've worked with so far have just been great people, just so nice and generous and just amazing. And I completely anticipate that that will continue um, because you just get a feeling about people right, right from the start. And so I'm sort of trusting my gut and they are doing the same and I'm finding really great people. So I guess the last quality I want to talk about is kind of a woo-woo quality, which is I think if you're a coach or somebody who's really interested in human potential and growth and uh, the possibilities, you want a ghostwriter who's soulful. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is you want a partner who has the ability to listen to her inner voice 
and follow her intuition and um, kind of dig in and be willing to really go there with you, wherever there might be. Um, and I think I have that. And that's something that I'm just starting to kind of lean into in my life and understand a little bit more. But it's like I'm connected to something bigger and I have this inner voice that is helping me and it's it's awesome. And so um, I think that's my kind of unique thing. Like I'm not very businessy and I'm not very um, analytical, mm -hmm. but I'm very soulful. And so if that's something that a person's looking for in a ghostwriter, I'm, I'm their partner for sure. I like that a lot. And do you think that that was something taught to you in the Midwest? Was that something your daughter is six now? Maybe your daughter taught it to you? Like, how did that come about, the soulful piece? Hmm, that's a great question. I think I arrived with it. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, good. I, like um, I think a lot of it comes from the relationships in my life. Um, I've always been drawn to deep thinkers. Um, I think it comes from being a reader. Um, when I was a young kid, my parents were great at talking to me like a little grown up. And I really thank them for that. They were never dismissive of my questions. And now my husband and I are doing the same thing for our daughter, which is like, we want to talk about anything and everything. And her questions are incessant. Okay. <laughs> but I love it. And I hope that I always have the patience to just answer them, you know, and to be honest and say, I don't know. And I don't know. Um, and I, that was a gift my parents gave to me. And so I think the combination of just reading a lot and, and having great people in my life is, is the reason. And, you know, beyond that, I don't really know. I don't have all the answers about how the universe works. I just feel really connected and really supported and I feel really lucky. So, yay. Mm. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I, I, as you were speaking, Laura, I was thinking of uh, Nikola Tesla and a lot of his work around understanding the secrets of the universe and his work in the 1800s or early 1900s to try to understand, you know, from a, a quantum standpoint, like how does the universe work? And so as we explore more of his work and understanding how it impacts us today as technology advances, there'll be more transparency that just happens uh, for people in general. And, and so as those things work themselves out, we'll be here folks like Laura who are really willing to go there with you to talk about any number of topics that come up to make sure that the material fits itself into the book appropriately, I think is important. One of the things that um, over the last year or so, year and a half or so, I've always appreciated Laura's wit. And I'm <laughs> not sure where that came from, Laura, but was this also from a young Dave thing till now? Because it really helps make the conversations fun. It's like, I'm always waiting for the next shoe to drop because I know you're going to have something awesome to say. Like, where did that come from? Well, thank you. Um, so when I was growing my writing career, I was a bartender and I worked at the world's greatest restaurant in Madison, Wisconsin. And everybody there was hilarious and into stand-up comedy and like way too highly educated to be working in a restaurant. Um, <laughs> and it was just the coolest, like graduate school environment for me. And, um, I think I just, I love comedy. I love watching it and reading it and thinking about it. And this isn't really coming across in this interview cause I'm trying to be all thoughtful, but yeah, I'm goofy and I love to be funny. And that's something that I think my clients don't necessarily expect. So when it comes out, it's like, who are you? But oh. it's fun. And I, I really do think that writing books should be a fun process and we should not take ourselves too seriously. And comedy is one way to do that. 
So, and also, um, the best comedians mm -hmm. are storytellers. They are doing the hardest job on the planet besides maybe like brain surgery, which is standing on a stage, telling a story and captivating people. And so I have huge oh respect gosh. for that. I, I agree. And I, there are a number of, of comedians that have cycled through my mind as you were saying that just because they do that. It's not just the quick 20 to 30 second joke with the zinger at the end. It's an actual story that's told funny each step of the way. And that does take a different mindset to be able to do. And one of the things, and now I'm kind of coming full circle for the audience, is that on Laura's Instagram account, she does a beautiful job of going to restaurants that are often empty inside locations, whether it's a hotel or some sort of a resort or something, and she'll walk into a restaurant or a bar. And I'm not sure why, but oftentimes when Laura goes there, they're empty. And then she takes these amazing photographs that really help to give you the essence of that specific location sans people. And, and this might, might seem odd, but I've always admired it because it's a different way to look at the environment around you and to see it for what it is, as opposed to how humans get in there and really change it. They change the vibe. Like what is the vibe that exists when it's just there by itself? And now that I know that you were a bartender, it makes sense as to why you would take pictures of that environment in its somewhat natural state. Yeah, I love that. It's my empty hotel bar series. And the reason that I'm there when they're empty is because I am a parent of a small child and so I don't go out at night. <laughs> so <laughs> my chance to see a bar is at 10 a.m. when I'm walking around somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I find empty ho hotel bars to be extremely evocative. And I'm sure at some point I will either self-publish or get the call um, from New York to do empty hotel bars as a coffee table book. So hmm. I'm waiting. <laughs> I think that's a brilliant idea because we're um, we're kind of cataloging history. And in our society, we we tear down and build buildings at such a rapid place that that the place actually kind of like loses its soul. Uh, because they're literally adjusting and shifting it so frequently. So I love that you're cataloging the history of that and then basically parlaying onto it any number of stories from the souls who come and go from that place. Yeah. It's a cool thing. It's going to be a bestseller. So like I said, I'm waiting for the call. <laughs> oh my God. When I think about Laura, one of the things that I think about is soulful. Another thing I think about is wit. Another thing that I think about is just straight, pure optimism. And I really do appreciate that about you, Laura, is that you know what it is that people like deep down inside, even if they don't necessarily say it at scale or with their friends or at work. Like you just have a gut feeling in your heart about what it is that's actually going to resonate or land with the person. And I think for people who are considering hiring a ghostwriter or considering talking to Laura, that's an, an under the radar thing that is nearly invaluable is that you just get what resonates with a potential audience member. Well, thank you. That is high praise. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. So on your website, Laura, there is a quick book called Write Your Book in Six Easy Steps. Yes. So I know that there are ways that if you wanted to learn a bit more, not only about Laura, uh, but about what are the things that you might consider as you're you know, thinking about this, could you just do us a favor and just give us a quick overview of that book for us? Sure. So if you go to lauraschaferwriter.com, you can download it um, very easily. And the first step is probably the most important step, which is make a decision. Um, 
very, very common for a client to come to me and say, I've been wanting to write a book for years, you know, and there's something about this moment where they've decided. And I love that. I think it's so powerful. Um, you know, that's a moment of transformation right right there. You know, what is it about this day, this week, this month, this year that you, you decided it's happening? Um, and so I love that. So that's the first step. Um, and then from there, you have writing and revision and editing and publishing and promoting. Um, but really, I put that little ebook out just to start a conversation. Um, because that's actually a conversation I'd rather have with somebody over the phone or in person. Um, because there's, you know, six easy steps is such an internet-y way sure. <laughs> of of speaking and conveying an idea. But it's it really should be a longer conversation. So I invite people to reach out to me and have that conversation because a lot of it depends on the book and where they're at in their life. And um, I'd like to tailor that to each person. Yeah. So. The best place for our listeners to learn more about you is laurashaferwriter.com and or? Yes. I'm also building a new website called ghostwriterforcoaches.com, and it's just spelled out um, with no numerals. So ghostwriterforcoaches.com, and I'm sure you'll put that in your show notes. But that is kind of a work in process. So if you go to that site and you see some sort of weird text box in the middle, that's, <laughs> that's because I'm working on it right now. Um, and then you can also find me on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm actually T-Shop Girl at Twitter because I joined back when I wrote that book. So I tweet quite a bit, actually. I, I like it. And I, I would confer that you are tremendous when you do tweet. There's a lot of mix between your personal life, but also kind of that professional humor that I referenced earlier. So Twitter.com slash T-Shop Girl. But then on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, yep. it's forward slash Laura Schaefer writer. And like Laura said a second ago, I will in include each of those links in the show notes. Um, as I'm looking over my notes, Laura, I was you know basically writing um, a mini novel as you and I were speaking, and there are a number of things <laughs> that you've discussed from you know the, the how your life has been shaped into what it has become and not always knowing the form of how it was going to work out to now you're already on your 10th ghostwriting project in a very short period of time from when you said that you wanted to do this and really thinking about the steps that you work through to bring a book to fruition, right? And really trying to tell that person's story authentically. And I love that it's a process. Let's talk once a week. Let's have, you know, five, six, seven, eight interviews. Let's keep this going to stay on top of it. And I love that there from you, there's this push to say, let's make sure we include good stories, right? Those good things that really catch the attention, but also then say why things happen, why they are the way that they are. I love that you have really significant knowledge about traditional and hybrid and self-publishing and how each has a pro and a con and how they can help a potential author and what he or she wants to say. I loved your points about really having a strong marketing and or sales platform yourself, whether it's a website or a newsletter or a social media following, that's really critical folks. So if you're listening and you want to eventually, you know, write a book of your own, start today with making sure that you're building that following through those vehicles. And really, as you think about ghostwriting, really think about what Laura said about what are the things that this person has done historically? Like what, what are the pieces of authority that he or she has, right? The fundamentals that she referenced. Does the person really listen empathetically? Is the person curious? How does that person set his or her ego aside? Can, you know, he or she be as soulful as Laura described 
you know, kind of who she is and what, what she does, or does that person have a sense of wit and make the process fun? Because if, if we're not doing it for the fun, like really, why are we doing it? And like she said, lauraschaferwriter.com is definitely the, the place to be able to go and learn more about her. And in the show notes, I'll include some of the other links so that you can follow her if you wish. Um, but, but really, Laura, I am really grateful for you uh, for the last probably 18 months or so since I've gotten to know you. And you really have changed the way that I look at my own business or how I look at how I share my message with the world. And I really genuinely want more and more people to be able to interact with you so that they can feel the way that I feel and that they can then feel that sense of safety to be able to share their message at scale. Because I think in a decentralized world, we all have a story to tell. And because of the internet and because of other tools, we can all share our story vulnerably and authentically. And what better way to do that with a person like Laura, who can really help us tell it in a way that lands with another person. So Laura, I honor and thank you for that. Well, thank you. And thank you for giving me the chance to talk about my business today. Um, one of the ironies about being a ghostwriter is I don't really want to self-promote. <laughs> it's not comfortable for me. So this is nice because it just felt like kind of a, a normal conversation. So thank you. It is my pleasure. Thank you, everybody, for listening to uh, Laura and I and, and our discussion today. It's been another episode of Equal Chance to Be Unequal. I wish you a wonderful day. Go forth and be awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Equal Chance to Be Unequal. I'm Michael S. Siever. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and like, share, or comment on this podcast on michaelssiever.com, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. Go forth and be awesome.